that was it's quite the exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees there. And I imagine that if that happened in our day, what people would do, they'd immediately take their cell phone out, right? Oh, look, Jesus, and oh, you know, I'm going to record this, and I'm, okay, now Jesus, and I'll, now the Pharisees, and then they would upload it or make TikTok videos out of it. And, uh, and that's probably, yeah, what would, uh, what would be going on there. And then that the Pharisees, they would put out, you know, a video of debunking Jesus' claims to be the son of God and working in the spirit. And in all this, whether we produce YouTube videos, whatever words we say, one of the themes here in the scripture is that what comes out reflects our hearts, that our words reflect our hearts. What we produce, the fruit that we produce reflects what's going on on the inside. And how do we navigate? How do we navigate this world that is very contentious, where there are many people who are skeptical of Jesus' claims and, and, and say that, well, I don't know by what power he did these things. But also, how do we um, not become Pharisees ourselves? How, as we're interacting in a hostile world, do we make sure that what comes out of us is from the Spirit of God. Well, I think that's our, our scripture today gives lots of insights into this. Now, we're in a series on, in the book of Matthew, and if we're going to look at this scripture, you know what we got to look at. The context, right? We've got to do the context. <laughs> I... I <laughs> I thank Brian Crafts for creating a little, you know, a little meme about with context. I said, that's nice. Hey, if, I, if I'm going to be known for something, if it's about context, I'll take it, you know? <laughs> well, so the context is despite Jesus doing many miracles and inviting people to follow him, all kinds of people uh, to repent, to find rest in him, Many people refused, but not only that, but then the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, they increased their opposition to Jesus' ministry. And although Jesus withdraws from the religious leaders' hostility, they keep following him around and opposing him. And that's what we see here in Matthew 12, verse 22, that Jesus, he casts out a demon that was causing a person to be blind and unable to talk. And when he does that, everyone is astonished, and they look at that evidence, and they say, this, this is proof this could be the Christ, the son of David, the one that we had been waiting for. Uh, that is everyone but the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious, uh, primary religious leading group of that day. The Pharisees, they haven't been happy with Jesus, because Jesus has been confronting them about some of their teachings, disagreeing with them. So the Pharisees, they assure the crowd that, oh, no, no, uh, you're misreading the situation. You are seeing this as evidence that Jesus is working by the power of God. In verse 24, he says, no, no, it's, it's, he doesn't cast out demons by the power of God. He, passes, he casts out demons by the power of Satan, by Beelzebul the prince of demons. So don't be swayed. Don't believe that this Jesus is working by the power of God. So they can't deny that Jesus is having an impact. They can't deny his power. 
but rather they assign that power to something other than the Spirit of God. And again, there's, we can see mm, parallels in our culture where many in our society do the same kind of thing. Uh, the, the largest group that's growing in our society is the religious nuns, those who are skeptical of anything kind of supernatural, of anything religious. And true, they can't deny the impact Jesus had. His teaching has changed the world. But they assign that power to something other than the Spirit of God, something that matches their previous commitments, their worldview. So Jesus is not working by God's supernatural power. He's not the Son of God that has risen from the dead because God is, I don't even know if he exists, and, and you know, he's some noble force. So instead they say, yeah, Jesus was a good teacher. He made a, a tremendous impact. But it's because his followers kind of took things too far that, uh, you know, that it's a social contagion that everyone sort of believed that he rose from the dead because it just kind of spread or, or the followers stole Jesus' body. There's all sorts of things that skept people who are skeptical say this is how Jesus worked. Now, they don't assign Jesus' power to Satan um, like the Pharisees did because they generally don't believe Satan exists. But they don't assign Jesus' power to the Holy Spirit of God working in him, bringing a new kingdom. And we see that. So they misread the situation and then misjudge what is going on. And again, you can see thousands of examples of this. Just go online of people misreading Jesus' teachings, misreading his deeds, misjudging who he is because they're judging it through a Western 21st century secular lens. And so many former Christians deconstruct their faith because they want need Jesus to, to, to fit in to the prevailing worldview. And they just won't. And they no longer believe that Jesus, by the Spirit of God, did these things, that the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. So everyone has to come up with alternative explanations. So how do we respond to that? Right? Because that's really the world we live in. How do we respond to that so that to those who misread and misjudge Jesus and his deeds, but do it in a way that also doesn't make the situation worse? Well, I think, again, our scripture has some answers here. First, what do we see Jesus do in verses 25 through 29 is that he does respond. Jesus responds with some reasoned arguments. He, he basically says, well, all right, if what you say is true, that I'm casting out demons by the power of the prince of demons, then um, Satan's kingdom is divided. So if that's really what you want, you should be happy because this means Satan's kingdom is divided, it's weakened, and it will fall. But then he says, but does that really make sense? Again, I'm paraphrasing. Because who do your son cast these demons out? No, we know that when, when someone casts out a demon, it is by the power of God. That's how you normally judge things. He says, and if I am casting out demons by the power of God, then that is evidence that, this, that the kingdom of God is among you. That Satan has been bound. So he uses these reasoned arguments, shows their inconsistencies. And we can do that too. We can give arguments that, you know, uh, when people are, are, are sort of speaking against Jesus or something, that, that, that just like Jesus did with the Pharisees. Jesus pointed out their inconsistencies, and, um, and we can kind of do that too. And so that's why it's, it's helpful 
to, to study and learn about, you know, arguments for Christianity, arguments for the reliability of the Bible and all that stuff. And I don't have time to unpack all the different arguments that are out there, but there is a place for it. Problem is, is that most of the time, people's difficulty with Jesus and trusting Jesus, it's, it's only 10% a head thing and it's 90% a heart thing. So that, yeah, sometimes there's, there's, uh, there's stumbling blocks, there's intellectual difficulties with, with uh, Jesus, but most of the time it's a heart thing. And that's what we see. That's where he goes to the, uh, the Pharisees and he starts talking about their hearts. The other thing is that the problem, it's not just one of theory. When we talk about God, when we talk about Jesus being the son of God, bringing the kingdom of God, it always is personal because it is so important. It has eternal significance because what's happening here is that the Pharisees, what are they doing? They're misreading and misjudging the kingdom of God. So Jesus is coming. He is, he's casting out demons. He's inviting people to join the kingdom of God, to receive forgiveness and enter into new life with God, the Pharisees see that and they misread it and misjudge it as the kingdom of Satan. I mean, think about that. God is showing up. He's doing miraculous things, inviting people, and you see that as evil? Yeah, it's showing that you're misreading, misjudging, so you're missing out on the kingdom. This is things of eternal importance. They're rejecting God's kingdom, so they'll have no part in it. They're blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit's work, they're saying, is the work of Satan. Again, this is, has eternal importance. The personal stakes are very high. And Jesus, he points that out. He points that out to them and says, you're in danger here of being left out of the kingdom because you are speaking against God. Again, what's coming out of their mouth, it shows that their heart, that their hearts cannot even discern that God is at work, and so they speak against it. Their words reflect their hearts. Their words reflect that they are blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Now, because I'm in a mostly Christian audience, I'm assuming immediately when you talk about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, people are like, what is that? What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Because, you know, it's, Jesus says, if you, if you, all sins will be forgiven except that one. And so we're always wondering, well, what is that? And did I do it? All right. So, yes, I know we have to go on this little rabbit trail for a little bit. But it's not defined here. So it, when we come into questions about the Bible, and we're not sure what things mean, what's the first place we should look? Context, yes, the Bible itself, context. And the context of this is, you know, people try to define it. Well, is it, you know, is that, is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, is that suicide, is it murder, is it adultery, anything? No, well, what's going on here? It is attributing to Satan what is accomplished by the power of God. In the Old Testament, um, many people continue to speak against God, and God says, yes, I'm long-suffering and forgiving, but there comes a point where you keep speaking against my prophets. You keep speaking against the, um, the Spirit's work in my prophets' lives. You're not going to enter into that kingdom. Yeah, we want it to be more defined, but really, contextually, it is the unrelenting rejection of the Spirit and failure to repent. Right? The unrelenting rejection of the Spirit's work in their lives and in, in, in what Jesus is doing. 
And so if you're wondering, well, have I committed the unpardonable sin? Are you an enemy of Jesus who refuses to repent and trust in Jesus? Really, that's the question. And if you, have, if you're, if you haven't, well, then no, you haven't committed that sin. And in fact, even your concern, if you're concerned about you've committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, then that's evidence you probably haven't because you're not rejecting the Spirit's advances. Your heart is open. You want to be in that kingdom. The Pharisees, what are they doing? It's an unrelenting rejection of the Spirit and failure to repent. And that places them outside God's forgiveness. It places them outside God's kingdom. And if you keep misreading, misjudging what the Spirit is doing in Christ, you will miss out on the kingdom. Really, that's the context of this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus, he turns the tables somewhat in verses 33 through 37. He, he knows that arguments, more evidence, ultimately will not win the Pharisees over to Jesus. Because, again, this misreading, this misjudging, it's not just an intellectual problem. It's a, per, it's, it's a heart problem. The Pharisees have a heart problem. So let's look at verse 34. He says, Jesus says to the Pharisees, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So our words, our words reflect on what's on the inside. And in the Pharisees' case, their words... Their words against what God is doing show that they, not Jesus, are aligned with the forces of evil. That inside their heart, as they see what God is doing and they speak against it, it shows that they have a heart problem. The heart issue is the real issue. Not just for the Pharisees, but for all humanity. Um, a couple of scriptures, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Romans three twenty three says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we all have a heart problem. We all have sinned. The, the Pharisees, yes, but even the disciples, even us. We are fallen creatures. We always seek to make ourselves God. And so the Contemporary solution to every problem is, oh, look into your heart, follow your heart. The scriptural, scriptural um, warning is, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> because your heart's desperately wicked. Is that our hearts are constantly moved this way and that way, and that the heart is the problem. But that anyone who sees their spiritual need can trust in Jesus and be restored. And then as we come to God and receive his goodness, he transforms us from the inside out. He gives us his spirit. He gives us a new heart so that now we look at things for the new purpose, a new priorities, a new view of God. And as our hearts changed, guess what? Our words change. Our actions change. That's what's supposed to happen. So those who would reject God now receive God. Those who would reject Jesus now follow him and proclaim with their mouth that Jesus is king, that he is the Messiah. But we all have that heart problem. And so when, the, when Jesus tells the Pharisees that their words 
confirm that uh, they have a heart problem, what's their response in verse 38 through 42? They, they say, all right, teacher, we want you to show us a sign. Show us a sign to prove us wrong. Now, Jesus, he was just doing miracles. He, was, he just did a sign. He just cast a demon out of this fella. And they're saying, give us a sign. What do they mean? They mean, all right, Jesus, you've given us evidence, but we don't accept that evidence. Because maybe that was done by some demons or something like that, the prince of demons. No, give us other evidence. So often that's what we do. That's so often that's what skeptics do. Like, all right, Jesus, you've showed me so much evidence and we sang about it, but mm, I don't like that evidence. Give me different evidence. And what does Jesus say? He says, I'm not going to play your game. <laughs> Because it's not an argument problem. It's not an evidence problem of, oh, just if I have the right argument, then they'll believe. Or if I give some more evidence, then they'll believe. No, it is a heart problem, not an evidence problem. So Jesus says the only sign that you'll be given is the sign of Jonah. Now, for, for those of you who aren't uh, very familiar with the Bible, so Jonah was a prophet who was swallowed by a whale, and he was in that whale for three days, and then the whale spit him out, and he went and did God's work. And Jesus is saying that uh, just like Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days, so will the Son of Man be in the grave for three days, but then he'll rise. He's saying that's the sign you're going to get. Now, the Pharisee, they don't, probably don't understand what he's talking about at the time, but he's referring to his death and resurrection, which is the ultimate sign of who he is and that he has a victory over sin and death. And unlike the people in Nineveh who repented, the religious leaders will not repent. And that's how he ends it. So again, how this, this scripture, now that we've unpacked it, we can see how do we apply this. Well, again, there's skeptical people. Um, and they have different reasons other than the Pharisees for not believing in Jesus. But nonetheless, they misread, misjudge what God is doing. But I think what's important here is let's not, in our pride, say, oh, well, I believe the evidence that, oh, there's all this evidence for Jesus and unbelievers, skeptics are just being stupid. No, if we do that, what does that show? Well, that shows a heart of pride, not a heart of humility. And not only that, but, you know, in their worldview, in a worldview that sort of rejects the supernatural. It's reasonable to assume an alternate, an alternate ex explanation is likely. So they're just, where you start really affects where you finish. And so if you're starting with, well, there's no such thing as the supernatural, then you're very likely to finish with that same conclusion. Well, this thing happened is not supernatural. So it's not that they're being dumb and ignoring the evidence. It's that these things are spiritually discerned, that there's a heart problem that needs to be fixed. That's why arguments and evidence can only go so far. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says this, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. So yes, we can give some logical reasons for Jesus in the Bible. Skeptics can ask for a sign. But ultimately, as this episode shows, you know, arguments can only go so far. Additional proof from God is rarely the issue. 
Really, it's about our hearts. We can also think about it as a vision problem, not just a heart problem, but a vision problem. It's like expecting someone who has very poor eyesight to read the fine print. You can give them the book and say, see, this fine print, this talks all about it. Here's all of the, the things you need to know. It's in the fine print. And they're like, I, I can't see that. I can't read that. And then you say, well, no, and you argue with them. Well, your arguments aren't going to be able to cause them to read the fine print. So, so, so too, we have a heart problem, um, that people have a heart problem. It's, it's, and, and then we need to go from arguing you know, for all these proofs about Jesus, that there is a place for that. But very soon we'll see that we have to move from arguing to asking. Asking them to, yes, see things from a supernatural perspective, but more than that, asking God to work in people's hearts. Because that's what he did with us. We couldn't see. There was a time where we couldn't see these things. But then the Spirit of God moved and caused us to see things in a new light. We need to ask, ask that people would get those spiritual glasses, that the Holy Spirit would work in people's hearts and change people's hearts. That's something we can't do. Because you, you might be thinking, oh, Pastor, so you're saying people need a changed heart to trust in Jesus? Yeah. Well, I can't do that. You know, this year is supposed to be a year where we focus on outreach, and you're telling me that when I reach out, I can't change people's hearts. That is correct. You cannot. But God can. And well, moreover, these things are of spiritual and eternal significance. That as Jesus said, he, that unless, you know, your words that you confess show that you're not a part of the kingdom. And that you'll be left out of the kingdom. So we have a world of people who have rejected God, who have rejected Jesus. And they're going to miss out on that kingdom when it's coming. These things are of eternal significance. And so it's so important. And so I guess my question I ask myself, I ask you is, well, then why are we not constantly in prayer that God would change people's hearts? It's, it is futile for us to have a year of outreach. What is outreach? It is looking to unchurched people and trying to, to cause and causing them to consider Jesus and his claims, to take a step to Jesus. It's impossible to change their hearts. It's impossible to do outreach unless the spirit is moving. And if that is the case, we should be in constant prayer. If we truly want revival, we can't schedule a revival. We can pray for a revival. We pray that God would move in people's hearts. So, uh, yes, I want this to be a year of outreach. Yes, I want to reach unchurched people. I don't want just to shift you know, this Christians from this church to that church. That, no, I want unchurched folks to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus, and I know you do too. And if that's the case, we need to be in prayer. Because we can't change people's hearts. And that's what is needed. And it's eternally important. So we need to be praying for revival. We need to be praying. Yes, there's a place for arguments and outreach. Yes, there's a place for talking about evidence. And you should be equipped in that. But really, outreach, revival is going to happen when we pray that the Spirit would move and go before us and change people's hearts as he changes, as he changed our hearts if we're Christians. And then finally, quickly, I think we need to apply this to ourselves in that 
remember Jesus' words, these harsh words that Jesus said, they weren't really directed to the non-religious, they were directed to the most religious. They were directed to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were way closer to Jesus theologically than most any other group at the time. But their theology didn't help them because it the issue was 90% heart, only 10% a head problem. So again, we cannot take pride that we've accepted the evidence. This is a work of the spirit that's worked in our hearts. And so the question becomes now, what's coming out of us? That if we call on the name of Christ, what else is coming out of us? Because Jesus, he said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Right? Now, that's not just for them, those people who don't believe in Jesus. You'll know them by their fruit. It also includes us. That you'll know a tree by its fruit. This is a general truth for all people. And so we have to ask ourselves, what's coming out? What's coming out of us? What fruit are we bearing? And a good gauge of that is our words. Do the words come out of our mouth? Is there repentance? Is there prayer? Is there confession that this Jesus is Lord? Because that often reflects the state of our hearts. And is there humility that comes out? So that, yes, we may know all sorts of arguments and stuff, but when it comes out, it is full of humility. That, no, I'm telling you this about Jesus. It's because I am a sinner and that I'm fallen and he saved me. And it's not that I've got more knowledge. It's rather that I've been touched by the spirit of God. And you can have that too. Does it come out that way? Or does it come out as you're putting down other people? Again, that's the fruit. Our words reflect our hearts. And really, our words really reflect our, or what really stirs up what's in our hearts is conflict, disagreement. That's why um, in Timothy, I believe, it talks about, you know, leaders should be tested. Why should they be tested? Because when we're tested, what's in our hearts comes out. So that when someone disagrees with you, do you immediately put them down? When there is difficulty in your life, what comes out in the words that you speak? See, Jesus wants us to be a people of humility, a people who constantly go to repentance. And it's not that we're perfect. It's not that we never do wrong. It's never, not that we ever say anything wrong. But it's rather when something comes out and it doesn't reflect the root, it doesn't reflect our faith, it doesn't reflect Jesus, we immediately then come out with repentance. We immediately come out with, no, that's not who Jesus is, so therefore that's not who I am, so forgive me. See, the fruit reflects the root. And this is so important because many times when you talk to people who don't really want to follow Jesus, most of the time it's actually not because of Jesus. Or you talk to people who've deconstructed their faith, it's not because Jesus has changed. It's usually because of the people who claim to follow Jesus and what's coming out of them. And they can see what's coming out of you is not from the Spirit of God. So yeah, I'm not so sure about Jesus, but I know I don't want any part of that. So our outreach also has to reflect at first that our hearts are changed, 
that first we have encountered Jesus so that what comes out is fruit of the Spirit, not fruit of the world. So many times you hear Christians talking, and I think, were they discipled in a church, or were they discipled by the news? Because they're talking points that they're spitting out. I hear those on the news, or I see those on TikTok, or some other thing. No, we have to really focus in, connect with God's spirit. So let's be a people of prayer. I think this is a call to, yes, we're interacting with a world that's hostile to Jesus, that often misreads and misjudges his claims. But there is an answer, and that is the spirit of God. So let's pray to God to change people's hearts. But let's include ourselves in that. So that it's not just God changed their hearts out there, those heathen who are out driving around, not in church. No, let's say, God, change my heart so that I reflect you in everything I do so that when people see me, they see the spirit of God. And yes, some people will always misread and misjudge. They did it to Jesus, they'll do it to us. But let's not put an extra stumbling block in people's way. Let's pray to the Lord. Let's look at our words this week, today, and say, God, are these reflecting who you are? Or are they reflecting the world? Are they reflecting that I'm functioning in the spirit of God? Or is the, my words reflect that I'm just reflecting the spirit of the world? Let's go to him. Dear God, we do come to you and confess that so many times our words do not reflect your spirit. God, we repent and ask that you would change us from the inside out, understanding that even that confession of repentance and faith is a work of your spirit. Lord, work in us. And Lord, we do pray for the world around us, for those who are skeptical, those who have rejected you. Lord, we pray that your spirit would move powerfully in this place, in our hearts, but then move powerfully in the hearts of those who do not know you. Lord, we repent of thinking that we'll reach the world with our fancy arguments, and instead we ask that your spirit would move powerfully. Lord, is it move powerfully in each one of us if we're Christians? Holy Spirit, move in those driving by, move in the houses around here, move in the Pioneer Valley, Change people's hearts. Start with us and move out, Lord. Bring revival to this land. And we thank you. We thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for sending your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.